All right, welcome to the A Game Podcast. This is a great episode we have for you today with Mr. Casey Ryan. He is an absolute real estate rock star. You guys are going to get a lot out of this. He has done everything as far as residential real estate has been going. He's on to bigger and better things. He is actually taking over the Las Vegas real estate market, which is a big deal. And we discussed that, how everybody says it's too competitive. There's no deals. And this guy's turning easily over 100 deals a year consistently on his fix and flips and wholesale deals in one of the most competitive markets in the country. I think he just had a $2 million year. This guy has systems. He has processes. He's got the mindset stuff down. He's, he's just, I've, I've been impressed with him since the first time I met him. And I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a little bit. So it was really awesome to sit down with him. This guy is an absolute force to be reckoned with. I've learned a lot from listening to him and I'm going to continue to follow him as well. Check the social media links on the show notes uh, to follow Casey Ryan and what he's doing on the, uh, on the real estate side, because he's going to be a bigger and bigger name as time goes on. For you guys, I appreciate you listening. Today, we have a couple of sponsors. First off, Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you guys are looking to get your real estate deals funded, whether you have bad credit, good credit, no money, a bunch of money, good experience, bad experience, no experience, it doesn't matter. If you need to be creative and you're not sure how to start, this is where you're beginning. You're going to contact Nationwide Business Capital Group and speak directly to Marianne. If you go on nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see under affiliates, the click on me for get my real estate deals funded. It will get you a link directly to Marianne. You can see how she, you can contact her and just let her know that the A-Game podcast sent you over. She will have a candid conversation with you. She has helped me. She has helped a lot of people I bought properties too. If you need to get creative or you want competitive rates and terms, an honest person to tell you what you can look at as far as interest rates, LTVs, and approvals, Marianne is the person for you to talk to. Definitely tell her that we sent you over there. You will get the red carpet laid out. And if you need to get creative on a deal, whether it's single family, multifamily, bridge loans, hard money loans, buy and holds, uh, lines of credit. I mean, she really covers all the bases. She can lend in all 50 states. Um, and she's been absolutely awesome to me for years and years. So please go on nicknick.com slash links and click on that link to email Marianne and tell her you want to get started. The A-Game podcast sent you over. Even if you don't have a deal yet and you're looking to get into real estate, you need to reach out to her so you can find out what types of deals you can actually go after. That's first thing. Second thing, to get some deals, contact me, podcast at nicknicknick.com. If you want to be on the podcast, if you would like to book me for your podcast, but most importantly, reach out to me via email or on any of the links at nicknicknick.com slash links via social media. Please follow me. Please, please engage. And uh, please subscribe to this podcast. All the ways to do that are there. But through there, if you want to buy properties from me, if you want to sell properties to me, if you want to partner, if you're looking to get in real estate so you could do more jujitsu or you can go and quit whatever job you hate or you're out of work sitting home because of COVID and you need something else, whatever the situation is, even if you don't know where to start with your situation, let's get on the phone. Let's have a conversation. Let's figure out how to get you into some real estate deals, make you some money or make your money work for you. Let's have that conversation. So go on and set up a consultation so we can figure out what types of properties to get you. I'm coming across more and more multifamily and uh, mobile home parks. Uh, so a lot of people, if you have some real estate experience, you're looking to get into some small to mid-size commercial properties. Those are really, really great for cash flow. They could also be great for forced appreciation. And we've been selling off those and I have a few people I'm working with directly that have reached out. Um, so obviously if you call and have a conversation with me. You get pushed up the VIP list. You get pushed up the buyers list and you get first crack of the deals when they come across. And last but certainly not least, go on nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets. If you are a real estate investor, real estate wholesaler, real estate agent or broker, you can download our free checklist to figure out how to bring more value to your buyers that we put together just for being on the Bigger Pockets podcast and uh, giving something back to their audience. So nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets for that checklist. Casey Ryan, check them out in the show notes. Thank you so much for all the positive feedback, all the reviews. Um, please, it all really helps. 
with the uh, with the podcast when you guys subscribe and you leave reviews and you leave comments and um, just help out. So people have been doing that a lot and I've been meeting a lot of really cool people. The A-Game Podcast, Real Estate Investing for Entrepreneurs with Casey Ryan. Thank you so much. It was an awesome time talking to you and I look forward to having you on again. Thanks, Casey. Thank you. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands, people that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game podcast is Mr. Casey Ryan. He is a real estate investor who has made over $2 million in a single year wholesaling, fixing, and flipping houses in the Las Vegas market, boasting on multiple times over 100 flips in one year. He is the owner of We Buy Any Vegas House. Proud father, proud husband. Thank you for coming on the A-Game podcast, Mr. Casey Ryan. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was just saying that. So I met you, I don't know if you remember, but I met you at the John Martinez event it was probably the last live one he did, actually. Yeah, it was. It was in uh, Springfield, right? At that, yeah, that, yeah. That hotel was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was like a really cool, like unique boutique kind of hotel thing. I was like, it was like two separate buildings. I remember I was staying in the back one, but I think there was like a crazy storm or something because I remember a bunch of us got to the hotel really late and it was like impossible to get from the airport to the hotel and we were all kind of like cramming in there last minute. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember what day I got in. I just know that um, as soon as we landed, it was just. I'm like, where did we just end up? It was like <laughs> the snow piled everywhere in the middle of this this tiny little airport that there's like three planes there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember he was saying he was like, I know everybody really wants to be here because nobody flies into Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. But I remember yeah. our our mutual friend Tiffany High grabbed me and she was like, "Hey, you should really talk to him. Like, he's a, he's a total stud. He's a rock star. Link oh, up with him." Cool. And uh, yes, yeah, so I was checking out online after that. But she's always said great things about you. She's a great judge of character. So uh, I appreciate you having uh, coming on here. But if for anybody who is not totally familiar with you yet, can you give just a quick thirty thousand foot view of your background? I know you come from engineering, and I just really like your backstory. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, I went to school for five years. I got my uh, mechanical engineering and finance degree. Uh, I wish that I would have skipped college and just gone <laughs> straight into to real estate, but I'm sure that everybody, once, once you discover something great, of course you wish you would have found it sooner. But um, anyway, so yeah, uh, mechanical engineering background. Um, as I was getting ready to graduate, I had I had been doing some, some side hustling stuff. I was buying and selling you know, concert tickets. Um, uh, really, I was focused on buying and selling cars on Craigslist, Jeeps. And everything I always did, I kind of just, once I got a little taste of it, I would just scale up without even realizing that's what I was doing. Like, I uh, I bought one Jeep and I had it for a little while. And then I, I bought it for like four, two grand and sold it for four. I'm like, wow, this is a really good, you know, return on my money in three weeks. So, as soon as I got one, I just started plucking them off. And then before you know it, the whole neighborhood hated me because my parents sat at like the corner of an entrance to a cul-de-sac. 
So there was like two long stretches of, of people's backyard. So empty wall. And like within, you know, a couple months after I made money on the first one, I had Jeeps like 10 or 15, it was like a used car dealership <laughs> up, up and down the street. So um, I started doing that. And then one of my, uh, my mentors, uh, uh, my, who was my business partner prior, he was always in my ear saying, Hey, he saw me doing that stuff. And he was, he was flipping houses, maybe 15 or 20 a year, maybe a little bit more 15 to 25 a year. And so that was in 2013 that he started, um, asking me. So I spent the summer kind of interning, basically just doing paperwork and, and stuff like that. And just learning, um, the, the, the back end of the business. And then also, um, starting to get a feel and taste for what is a deal? What do the numbers look like? What does the rehab look like? And we were flipping everything at that time. Um, so I, I got my first deal in 2013. Um, and, but at that time there wasn't really room and, and what he was doing for me that I saw. So I, and I was already, you know, three years into my, my, uh, college career and I wasn't just going to abandon it. So I followed that through and then like through 2015 or so, as I was getting closer to graduating, he was, you know, um, kind of pitching me again, asking me like, you should do this, you should do this. So in that summer, as I was coming through my last semester, I was, I remember sitting in all those engineering classes and whatever, just sitting there and just looking on MLS all day long for deals. Cause that's how we were finding them in the beginning. Um, and then that, then like towards August of 2015, I made the decision. I'm like, I was starting to get job offers when I graduated engineering, which were, were good job offers, you know, engineering, you can make right out of school when you're 22, 23 years old, you can make, you know, hundred grand a year pretty quickly. Um, so I had some solid uh, engineering sales job offers and I ended up jumping ship. I remember having the conversation with my wife at the time or at the time she was my girlfriend, but just saying, I think I'm going to do this. Like if, if it goes bad, it goes bad. I can always go back to this. And um, I have savings. So we're good for a while. And she had her own income too. But I'm like, if, if I need your help to ride it out a little bit, you know, do you have my back? And then just feeling scared but excited and then so I jumped ship from the engineering thing after I graduated not jump ship but switch gears and we partnered up in that first year together we did 75 flips um but I also remember uh like for the first six months which a lot of people don't they, it just looks like all glory you know there the first six months I remember I had paid out more in rent and because we were splitting expenses and stuff paid out more in rent and everything and I'd made like 600 bucks because especially when you're flipping takes a couple of uh, months to get your, you know, get some momentum and traction on finding deals. And then, you know, it's 30, whatever, two weeks, 30 days to close them. And then you got to renovate them and then you got to resell them. So it's like pretty much a, a waiting period for that, that uh, uh, initial startup. And then after that, uh, we just started cranking. So we did, yeah, like 75 the first year and then slowly worked our way up to about a hundred. And then in 2018, um, he really wanted to build the, the retail brokerage. We had started a retail brokerage um, and well, he had already got that rolling and then I jumped in and brought agents and we were building that up too. So we built up a retail brokerage and then I decided to um, take on, we, we were doing no marketing at that time. I was getting all the deals, MLS, wholesalers, um, maybe some email campaigns and stuff, but our marketing budget was $0. So nice. did that for three years, flipped a ton of houses and we were doing everything ourselves from ordering faucets and light fixtures on Amazon, going to pick up tile floor and a corner in the back of my Jeep and dropping off properties. And little by little, we, you know, we realized it wasn't best suited, but we always grew organically, then hired, grew organic. So we got a TC, then we got 
project manager, then, you know, just kind of group, it was still a pretty tight team, but we're doing all that stuff and working 16 hours a day. It was just it, it, very intense. Um, and, and, uh, and so at that point, when, in early 2018, um, I, I bought him, he took the brokerage, I bought him out of We Buy Any Vegas House, and then I transitioned to start doing actual direct-to-homeowner marketing. Um, and then, so I, I, that was 2018, so I'd done no marketing at all, but I understood the buy, I understood the renovation, and I understood the, the comps to resell. So when I started wholesaling, all the flippers in town that I competed with, because I'd be down at the auction bidding against the hedge funds, I'd be you know, uh, bidding against other wholesalers and other investors, they all, they had, we knew each other. So when I remember sitting down with a lot of them being like, hey, look, I have good news for all you guys. Um, um, I'm still gonna be flipping a little bit, but I'm gonna sell you all these properties. So you're, you know, I'm gonna bring you all the deals that I've been beating you out on. Uh -huh. uh, and so I, and they loved it because I, they knew that I was bringing, it wasn't like that wholesaler that sends out unrealistic numbers on a, you know, a renovation or, or a resale, a, a, a comp on the resale evaluation. So I just started cranking. So that was 2018 and that year, because I didn't have to go through all the flipping process of it too. I think I did like 117 deals, which was my best year. And then 2019 was like 145 and then 20, 2020 was about the same, but we, instead of wholesaling 80% of everything in, in 18 and 19, um, and 20, I switched back to pretty much flipping everything. I think I wholesaled like 10 or 15 houses in 2020, but we still did about 140 deals. And then that, then now to 2021, um, after getting some pretty nasty tax bills, we're still flipping and about 100, 140 houses a year. Um, but I started acquiring some some rentals in Oklahoma to to offset that that cost, and some in Vegas. Um, so I think this year we'll probably do a little over 200 deals with that, maybe a little more, roughly. But that's basically the 30,000 foot overview of the last six years of my life. <laughs> Man, that, that's so impressive. And there, again, I just turn this, there's a lot of dogs I can take for a walk from that story. There's so many different ways we can branch out on that. But one of the, one of the things I heard you say, and I listened to you in a few other interviews too, but you say a lot of time, Hey, you know, I do everything 110%. Once I'm committed, I'm yep. committed. Yep. Being yeah, that so many people get into real estate, especially I hear so many people that want to get into real estate in Vegas of all places too. And that's where you are. How important is it to to commit and to have uh, an expectation going in? Because I think a lot of people think, hey, you know, he's flipping 75 homes his first year. He's making all this money. And they don't understand, like what you talk about, that it's six months of just shelling out money before anything comes back in. And they yep. watch these HGTV shows and think that they're just going to be rich overnight. And they don't have the support of their spouse like you did. And that's yep. when they just get discouraged and they quit. Was the initial, uh, I guess, kind of shadowing with the other guy, did that give you the proper expectation that you think gave you the confidence to go with it and stick with it, knowing what to expect? Um, you know, I think just like you said, how you do anything is how you do everything. So if I'm into something, I'm burning the boats. I'm not looking back. I'm, I'm sticking to it. Um, sometimes it can be, you know, uh, a, a fault because I'll just stay in one lane and, you know, forget about, I just say so laser focus on what I'm doing. And, and to be honest too, I, when I first started, obviously the, the money is what everybody wants to initially go after for uh, why they want to pursue real estate and freedom, of course, too. But um, I didn't care about the money at all because um, when I was flipping Jeeps, I was, you know, I was buying and selling 50 of them a year. All my friends were, you know, maybe making 50 grand a year. And I was, I was working valet making good money and then also making the Jeep money. So I was always making a lot of money. So 
I remember I kind of came to the realization in the beginning when I, I, I had I had those Jeeps that I drove every single day. And then I, I bought a, a like a, a newer Cadillac, like a, a CTS and uh, a used one. I got a deal on it, of course, but I bought a Cadillac <laughs> and I drew, I remember driving it all the time. I'm like, this is nice, but like I would, I would go camping and I would like just be romping it off road and stuff. And I was like, I really wasn't any happier every day when I was in my nice Cadillac than when I was driving my Jeep. So I, and I'm like, and I've got, you know, I bought it cash. So I'm like, I got all this money sitting in this car. So I sold the car, went back to the Jeep thing and uh, just drove it every day. I'm like, I feel exactly the same every single day. So I, I realized that those materialistic things and having more money in your bank account, it really doesn't bring you any more joy. It's like how you wake up every day and expect, you know, your day to be is, am I going to just be excited or like, is some, something new going to happen? Like I just, I try to go up and every day thinking something new is going to ha be happening. So I wasn't really motivated by the money. I was just like, I'm just like a, a once again, once I'm focused on something, I'm a machine. I'm just going to keep working and working and working and, and going at it. And then eventually the money does start to come, you know, it just, it takes a little bit of while to get traction, you know? And I was also very, very blessed to have um, partnered up with somebody who had the experience. Um, and for those first three years, I was making, a, compared to what I was generating for our investors, for, for my partner, I was a very small majority of that. I wasn't making very much on the houses, maybe maybe a couple thousand bucks unless it was an absolute home run, but I didn't care. I just saw it. I'm like, I don't care what the gross profit is on the deal. I'm like, if I'm making this much on it and I want to make X dollars, then I got to do a hundred of them. I, I didn't really care what I was making. Um, so I just did that. I put in, you know, I paid my dues. And then when, you know, eventually when I uh, ended up, when we ended up uh, parting ways, which we're, we're still friends to this day, but when I ended up parting ways, um, you know, I, I paid my dues and, and I understood the difference, especially when I brought new people on. I, I, uh, I, I just try to set that mindset first from the beginning. If I'm, which every, all the people that I've brought on, like my inner circle and our company, our company's small anyways, there's usually only been like five of us. You don't need a huge team to do that kind of stuff. But the guys that have, that have been with me since day one, they're all crushing it too. Their whole world is, their whole lives have been changed as well. So I just try to pay that forward just as it was given to me, you know? That's awesome. That experience, you know, I, I, people that don't understand, it's even the ones that you don't make money on, the, the experience you get from going through those processes is invaluable. It's stuff that will make you money and save you money for knowing what to do right and wrong for the rest of your investing career. Yep, yep, and I understood that too. I love that, man. So talking about, you, you started out, obviously, that's a lot of properties to do in a year, and I know you started out almost as a one-man show. What did what was like a typical day looking like for you in that first six months when you were in the in, the, in like the... The smoke and fire and chaos of it. So, um, I it, basically I would uh, wake up. I mean, I would go to bed super late because I'd sit. So, well, the the auction we were buying some at the auction, not a ton, but I had to utilize every source that I resource that I could because a lot of people are like, oh, if I start doing PPC, maybe I can get five, ten deals a month off it. Yeah, maybe you can at scale at some point, but realistically every like source you have for deals is going to bring you maybe one or two a month. And then maybe you get better at it and it starts bringing you three a month. And now you've got three of these sources that are fought for. And then that's how you start to scale up. And I'd master one thing. So it started with the auction. It started with the auction. So I would uh, stay up late, you know, till I, I would go to, to, I'd wake up in the morning and this was before that I, I had graduated. I'd wake up in the morning, I don't know, six 30 or something like that. I try to rip through any homework and stuff I had to do. Then I go to, 
I'd go to class. Um, I'd go through all my classes throughout the day. Then I, and I, in class, I'd before the, I was looking on the MLS, I'd be looking for Jeeps, whatever, to, to pay my bills. I'd be looking for Jeeps. And then I would go to uh, my other classes. And then around 2 o'clock, I would set my classes up so I was done around 2. I'd go to the, the, the office for a few hours and just, like, get on the same page for whatever everything we're doing. And then I'd probably go home around, like, 6 or 7, you know, eat dinner. And really, I mean, I, I didn't have much free time. So I would immediately pull up my computer, start writing offers on the MLS, like, I would try to write at least 10 or 15 a night and then around 10 o'clock or so then I couldn't be calling agents and texting them, making sure they got my offer. So I'd pull out what was coming to auction the next day for a couple hours, maybe like 12 midnight or one, I would, uh, I would start, I'd compile a list of everything I was going to auction of properties that I'd buy that the opening bids worked. I'd put all that list together. Then I'd plug it all into a maps. And then I would wake up the next morning at like five or five 30 drive all the properties so that by nine I could be at the auction to bid. Then I'd bid and there'd be days where you'd, you'd put together 17 properties and you wake up the next morning and nine of them canceled. So now you've got eight, whatever, you've got a few left and then you go and I've already driven most of them because sometimes they cancel right when you sit down at an auction to bid. So then I would bid on a few, the hedge funds would beat me. Then maybe once a week I would get one out of all those properties. So, and we just started, you know, plucking them off like that. And then, but during, when I was in the office for those few hours, I would be, you know, ordering everything on Amazon. I'd be reviewing contractor bids, maybe pre-listing a property that was going to be coming up down the road once we started getting deals, pre-listing them. We'd schedule the photographer, you know, getting, you know, paperwork done and stuff like that for those few hours. I would just crank from six to midnight to one again and again and again and again and again. And I never really felt burnt out. I don't know. I just, I just wanted to, I, that's just how, I guess it's just how you're wired, you know? Yeah, so for people listening that go, hey, I want to I want to do what Casey does. I didn't hear at what point of the day you stopped and watched the whole season of Tiger King in between that. <laughs> yeah, people would ask me all the time. They're like, or politics or whatever. I'm like, dude, I don't I haven't turned my TV on in six months. I don't I don't know what's going on with politics. They're like, well, it's going to affect you. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> but if it does, it's like your taxes are going to go up. I'm like, I'll just have to make more money. So that's all there is. But yeah, it's just part of the process, you know. Yeah, it's a time suck. I like it because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I always say everybody's got the same 24 hours. And I use that that analogy a lot. You know, people like that that, that know me through jujitsu, they'll see me in like San Francisco or something. And I'll, I'll post that I'm out training at like 5 a.m. with whoever I could find out there. And they're like, ah, oh, that's cool. But I don't like getting up at 5 a.m. and going to work out. I'm like, yeah, like I don't need <laughs> you know I mean? like, If you like waking up at 4 or 5 a.m., then you're a sociopath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding, but. Yeah, no, but it's true. You know, like you, you make the time, the time's the same for everybody. It's just a matter of like the excuses there. So I like that you just, you know, tunnel vision and you make it happen. So as you started to scale up from there, what was the, what was the thing that made you go, okay, now I need to start hiring people. And what was the first, uh, first couple of hires you made? Um, so I think that uh, as we scaled up, we just, there's so, it, when, when little things, like for instance, when little things would come up or get missed, it just causes a lot of stress when things aren't running smoothly or when people are taking on too much. Um, and even to this day, I, I have trouble with, with delegation and not, I, I just, I just want I not necessarily because I always think I'll do something better, but it's just like, I just, when something needs to be done, I want to do it now. Even if I say, Hey, can you do this? It's like, I'll wait three minutes and then just do it myself, <laughs> which is not, you know, not it's, it's, a, I'm learning to be better about it, but it was, we were just so stressed all the time and it was causing like conflict between us. So it was like, we've got to get somebody to take these tasks on. Not to mention, even if 
somebody does, first off, I'm not good at paperwork regardless. So we, we understood that. So it's like, I, I'm not good at that, nor do either of us like doing it. So I think we brought on a, like a, an assistant position, but she was also doing all of our TC, um, cutting, you know, managing invoices and QuickBooks and stuff like that. Um, well, at the time we didn't have QuickBooks, we were just doing everything on spreadsheets, but um, we, so we brought on a TC assistant role and then we were still doing the projects, but it was like, uh, we realized very quickly, my time was much more valuable acquiring more properties than me, you know, trying to keep up with a repair request on a resale and that kind of thing. So, um, or driving to properties to make sure that they put the vanity lights in right or took out the right walls. And so we hired a project manager who was my buddy that um, we have, as I did the Jeeps, he, he wanted to do them with me. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then after I was just too busy, so he started doing them with me. And then I was able to do more Jeeps. So that, then as I was transitioning out of the Jeep thing and uh, I had gotten him a job at, at the, the valet with me too, he was doing that. And he wanted to come do the real estate thing. And I was kind of like, I don't want to, you know, blend it. Let's just, just you do your thing for now and I'll do mine. And then he just stayed persistent. So he uh, eventually came on as our project manager. So he learned all the construction side and took that role on too. Um, and he was just a beast, man. Like his follow-up game is insane. Like he's just, he, everything he does, he does 150%. He's like, he's just, sometimes I'm like, dude, Ryan, his name's Ryan. I'm like, Ryan, just, just chill out for a second. He's like, oh, it needs to be done now. I'm like, having a partner like that is, is, is awesome. So then eventually when I, um, we, we had those, basically those two roles as a project manager and uh, a transaction coordinator assistant office girl. And then when I uh, went to the direct to homeowner with We Buying a Vegas House, I uh, whenever you split with a partner, it's it's a tough thing. It's like divorcing your wife, and it's somebody who's been you've been close to for so long. It's like a whole new way of life. And I kind of just started over from scratch and, and left what we built with him. So I just sitting there in the house all day. I'm like like you know like what do I do? What do I do? You know. And I didn't want to just go do exactly the same things that I was before because I didn't want that constant conflict of you know now all the every the, the stuff that we had built together like the ways we were acquiring property it's like now we're just going to be back like bashing heads all the time so um that's when i started doing the direct to homeowner stuff and i just was working in my office you know by myself i'm like i don't want to work with anybody anymore i don't want any of the drama i just want peace in my life so i uh was just figuring out different marketing channels and then started to get i was like I remember I had, I had like a, a frosted glass, uh, like whiteboard and I had a few properties that I had like two or three flips that when I, that I, when I left, I had two to manage. So, and I was like, I want to get 10, I want to get 10 properties on my board. That was my goal. Like whether they were under contract to buy, um, renovating listed to resell. So like maybe two in each category, whatever, three in each category. I'm like, I want to get to 10 and a little bit, I'm like eight. And it got, got to 10 that I had going at any time, which would be like maybe three closings a month. And then very quickly, it was like, okay, my board's at, you know, 15 and I'm busy. I'm like, I need to hire an assistant. So I made a post on Facebook. I hired an assistant um, and she, she was doing like, like responding to text messages on, on my, my, uh, my platform for my marketing and stuff. And every little thing I'm like, I, she can do this. So she just started taking on little things, little things. I'm like, if I could buy back half my time, that's, that's worth it. So then that board turned to 15 and over time, I mean, now there's like, probably 70, 80 properties on the board at any time, you know, it, it's a super overwhelming, but um, I've just used my, um, I guess you could say my engineering background to 
uh, create a lot of automations that just make it so that we can manage all these transactions and follow up with escrow and, 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 you know, just have everything organized so that a team of five can really manage that many properties is the only way to do it with automations before is everything was just manual, manual, manual. So, um, yeah, I would say key hire for anybody. Um, I, I would say acquisitions if you're not good at it. I was doing acquisitions, but then my, my project manager, Ryan, uh, he, everywhere I go, he's like, I'm, I'm with you to the ship sinks. And if it sinks, I'm going down with you. So he, he's, he's just a hundred percent dedicated. So he, and at the time when I had split, I'm like, I don't, I'm, I'm just hang tight, you know, keep doing your thing. And I just want to be left alone for a while. So, but then I, I, uh, as I started to gain a little more momentum, I wanted to, to travel a little bit too. And I knew that if I got busy again, I'm like, I can't just, you know, leave and I, I couldn't just leave the business run. There's nobody to run it besides me. So, but I, I had told my, my girlfriend at the time, I'm like, let's just go on a, on a trip. This is the only opportunity I'm really going to be able to do this right now. So we went to Europe for like a month and then we got engaged and uh, I came back with a vengeance and just started cranking. I had, I had my assistant ready to start like three weeks after that. And um, Ryan, while I was gone in Europe, I had just started doing some PPC and SEO stuff because I kind of figured out the SMS thing and it was growing. So I switched to the next marketing channel. So I had PPC scheduled um, is actually starting like two weeks into my trip. And so the leads started coming in and there's like three good leads right off the bat. And he's like, I, he's like, I can go to these meetings, these appointments for you. So he went and he closed every one of them. I'm like, okay, this guy's pre pretty good. He's always a very likable person. So I'm like, he still did project management because we didn't have enough leads or he was constantly busy. So he's doing project management and acquisitions. And then, uh, he just started getting better and better and better. And I started just spending more money on marketing to, to bring in more leads for us to work. I, I was still taking the, actually the PPC leads most of the time, but eventually I transitioned to him. And then, you know, not, then he was pretty much closing 80, 90 deals a year for us. And then I was, uh, then I brought on another person to do the MLS thing that I was doing and just scaled up. So I think acquisitions is lifeblood. And if you can't do it yourself, because a lot of um, operators don't have that mind, you know, to, to, to be on the phone, phone, talking to people just drains them. Um, I was good at sales cause I'd done it for those first three years of all of our acquisitions. I didn't love it, especially direct to homeowner is a little bit different than, you know, working with wholesale, other business professionals. So, um, he took that on. He loved it. He could talk to people for um, ever. Like, it's like, can you, I'm like, okay, Ryan, this guy, move on from that guy. He's not, he's like, but he, but, 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 but I'm like, okay, he's your friend now. That's fine. But move on to somebody who's going to close this a deal or whatever. A good, a good lead. So acquisitions is like the, the number one thing to fill your business fuel your business but if you're getting deals and they're coming in just hire an assistant and then plug them into all your other roles you know to, to handle that stuff for you if you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner whether you're beginner intermediate or advanced any way you're looking to get it on a residential commercial land development wholesaling fix and flips whatever it is let's find a way to get you involved in some projects get you some properties whether you want to sell some properties to me whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today.
It's a great answer, man. You know, one of the, the things I go back and forth on that I would love your opinion on. So when I talk to, to some of the guys and some of the masterminds I'm in, and I'm like, hey, you know, I, I'm doing this now and I'm trying to train my acquisitions guy. I'm trying to work with this and, and grow here and do the multi-units. And they're like, hey, you need to, to get like a visionary and then you need to be the, the whatever. But my thoughts on it was, well, I need to do some of these things so I can learn them. So I know how to train people on them. So I know what it takes. And yep. half the people I talk to are like, exactly like that's that's the way to do it. And the other half are like, you never need to understand any of those things. And that just never gelled to me because I feel like if you're going to run a business and you don't know how to even look for where the problems would be or how the things work. So I spend a lot of time learning about stuff when people are like, just delegate that. I'm like, I'll delegate it after I understand it enough to teach it yep. to somebody else. Is Are you in that kind of same boat? Um, I absolutely in that same boat. I wish that I was one of those people that could just uh, delegate and move on, but I'm just not. So I learned the role and I see a lot of guys that, that hire, that they're very good at hiring and training and they, and they, you know, they do have success with that route. Um, I'd say the general, in general, the, any type of business owner is going to be a hustler. So you're not like a business owner is going to be somebody who's in the trenches. Most of the time you're going to be 80%. And over time you do learn to shift your mind to when you, you have to have that high level mindset. So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get there where I'm like completely removed from my, my business. I would say that most of the stuff is, is, is handled, which has allowed me to, to, to focus on, you know, building a rental portfolio. I'm doing a, a, a development deal, um, just other little things that I never would have had time to do if I didn't have good people in good positions. Um, but yeah, I did know all those roles at first, but then um, my, my assistant and I have for three years, uh, I, we, we transitioned her into an agent role because that's what she wanted to do for her career. So I wanted to help her get there. So as she transitioned to, to work all of our retail, our retail leads, I brought on another assistant and I realized when I'm trying to train her, I'm like, I don't remember how to do any of this stuff at all. So, which is a good, a good thing. But then I'm like, you just got to figure it out. If you have questions, let me know. But you're always like, just making sure the people you bring in your circle are the figure it out type of people. Like, so, like somebody who can make decisions, you know, quickly with very little information. Like you just gotta, you gotta find those types of people that just kind of take ownership and roll with it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I, I usually know the roles first, but now it's gotten to the point where I've forgotten that role. And I'm, and also it's hard, at, especially with acquisitions and sales as the lifeblood of your business. It's tough to go and, um, I mean, you can, you, some people have the personality type where they can be like, this is the way it needs to be. And they've never done it. And they can just, you know, present it that way. For me, I got to believe I know what I'm doing if I'm, you know, going to be saying do it this way, you know, so and, and to also have the respect of your salespeople like that I actually can close deals too. So I know what I'm talking about. So I think it's a definitely important in a sales role to be able to do that. Um, but the, the admin roles and stuff, I could see you saying like, I don't know how to do this. I'm just going to hire somebody out to do it, you know, but the operation side of it. Yeah. Hire, hire good people, show them what you know and learn it first. But eventually you got to be like, like let them trump you. It's like, I think we should do it this way. They're like, well, we can do it your way, but I think this way is better. And I'll be like, uh, do my way. And then if that doesn't work, we'll do it your <laughs> way. And I'll say I was wrong, you know? Fair enough. That's good leadership right there. So talking about what it looked like then versus what it looks like now, what's an average day in your business look like now for you that you have all these other systems and people in place? Um, I'm still busy constantly and overwhelmed just because of what we we're taking on with growth. And I didn't, I don't think I staffed up to, um, to prepare for what we've taken on. But um, I, I think that day to day, like a transactional stuff, the, 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 
new assistant I had the first assistant I hired um, really didn't have any work life because I was trying to get somebody cheap so I didn't have anybody that had been in an executive type role so I had to like groom and groom and groom and then um, get her to where she needed to be to maybe like support our current level and and even that was tough she did, so um, the new girl that I hired is incredible and she's had a decade of experience in, in um, alongside with a really prominent doctor here in town who has it not just like one practice he has like multiple facilities and stuff so she just was a different level um, I paid more for her and gave her like a, a runway to make a lot more too um, but what, having her like I the more and more I'm like uh, if, if if you have to involve me to, to fix a problem then we don't have the right process so that's the problem I don't want to be involved in this or that and if I sure there things might get missed things might get messed up but it, it's better than me constantly having to be involved in all this stuff just just now i'm getting in the mindset because I, I i don't know if you're familiar but i'm in a, a mastermind collective genius and oh, cool. just yeah so a, a lot of these guys i mean if you ever think you're doing well in life like go join a group like that and you, you're you're like oh i do a couple hundred deals a year there's guys in there doing ten thousand deals a year they just scaled it to another level it's insane not that I, I don't want to do 10,000 deals a year, but it, I have extreme respect for somebody that can accomplish something like that. So anything that those guys are, are pouring into me, like I, they, they, I, I try to share with them because they're a little bit older. They know how to operate a business, but they also um, are more in like a traditional type direct mail, but like all like super old, like not old school, but legitimate solid business um, marketing channels and all the the new new age stuff that i've like grinded and grinded and grinded to figure out how to master they don't know how to do that stuff and those types of marketing channels like um you know digital type marketing channels like sms i, I call it digital even though it's it's like more of telemarketing but it's all you know based off of internet stuff uh, off of internet phones and, and so forth being able to teach them that and then teach me you know they, these these guys have like $300,000 salaried COOs. Like, it's like this guy used to run Levi's. It's like, whoa, you know, that's like a next level stuff. So just hearing their perspective on it. And then they see the, my, how my business is running and we just, you know, throw ideas back and forth. It's, it's just really been eye opening for me to like slowly transition, retrain my mind to, to build a different type of business where it's not solely relied on me. But I will say too, that, you know, a lot of people sell the dream of, I have this wholesale business with bunch of acquisitions people and you know it doesn't need me it is it is doable for sure and there's there's guys doing it but but the even those businesses those the the, the owners not uh, are still in the business like they're still a part of it they're still they know exactly what's going on there's they know their sales people like they're they're not just you know off traveling the world every day of the week you know they're they're maybe they're going on vacations but they're still doing their zoom meetings they're still they're still a part of it and and I think that the second, you know, you, you, you know, get, take your finger off the pulse of that, um, it, it starts to lose life. So, and there, and there are also guys that have good, um, you know, operating businesses, the real estate businesses and start to go on to other things too, which eventually maybe I'll do, but um, at the moment I'm, I'm still pretty involved. So eventually uh, it's so day to day now, I think, um, you know, I, I am still usually up pretty late. I, pre I prefer to get a lot of my work in like focus and stuff, um, out of the office. A lot of times I'll come in and, but when you're in the office, it's just thing that something after something comes up constantly. So getting that stuff done when you're hundred percent focused at night, 
Um, and then I'll, I'll, I mean, wake up seven ish, go to the gym, go to the office after I'm usually in the office as of now, it used to be like eight 30 to, to seven 30. I think as of now, it's probably been like 10 to six ish, 10 to seven. Um, and, and I just, I'm actually working on stuff for growth, not as much. I'm still helping operating and, and little things that come up because my, my uh, new assistant, I mean, there's a lot to learn and, and a few, she's only been a, a few with us a few months. So just training her, helping her get like things buttoned up so they don't get missed. Um, but generally I'm not having to be too involved with any of the sales stuff. Uh, my, my Ryan, that is my best acquisitions guy. He's also managing and running the sales team. And I know that's like a number one no-no is have your best sales guy be your sales manager. But um, our company's more structured where they're junior reps. He's the senior rep. He's the closer. So the better they are, the better appointments he's they're booking for him. They're they're putting in that grind every day. Call, call, one, one of my guys comes in every day at eight and leaves every day at seven. He And he comes in Saturdays, sometimes Sundays, and he just dials all day long. So like, like I'll look at some of our leads like, follow-up generally never an issue and like okay this lead we've called 117 times and we haven't got all of them let's you know let's take them out of hot I know it's PPC lead let's take them out of hot and move on but so I just kind of am auditing you know leads just looking through new stuff making sure that all the the marketing channels are profitable if they're not then I'm, I'm tweaking things shifting budget around or talking to whatever vendors are running my PPC or my direct just like that kind of marketing stuff um, and then just trying to acquire and build a rental portfolio, refinance all that stuff out, which that, a good majority of my day is like working a lot of that stuff, underwriting some properties to, to make sure that I'm getting good buys, that, that, that your, all your, your DSCRs, your debt service coverage ratio, making sure that all your expenses are covered well with rent so that you can get good financing on them um, and just building that side of things out and then just growth too, just seeing, all right, well, um, can I start putting more money into this marketing channel or try this one and and see what happens and then following up and looking through and asking the guys what their feedback is on those leads and just stuff like that. That's, I, I think, a general day for me. That's and sometimes I, I rarely go to the properties anymore, to be honest, unless construction's super bogged up. But most of the time I'm buying a property, renovating it and reselling and never going there. It's maybe a little irresponsible of me, but. <laughs> no, that's the way these days, man. So talking about markets, it's a great segue because I'm very interested in your mindset on the Vegas market because real estate just across the board is competitive right now. Yep. Vegas happens to be extremely competitive. So, you know, I talk to the average person and they're like, hey, I want to do deals in Vegas. And people go, oh, there's no deals in Vegas. But meanwhile, yep. you're cranking out like 75, 100, 140. So what is the mindset for operating in such a competitive market? Yeah, I hear that all the time. Too. And I've heard that since day one from, from <laughs> agents that used to flip or, or um, just old, like they're like, there's no deals left anymore because a lot of these guys that... I know some guys in my market that when they, they started in like 2011, when the auction was just poor feeding you deals for like with no effort at all, you just, you go there and make money, you buy a house for 50 grand, the next day sell for 110, like not even touching it. So, and the auction was just feeding them deals like that for free. We know that if you're doing direct to homeowner marketing, it ain't that easy. It's, it's just, it's just not. So, um, and, and as we, I was getting all those deals on, on MLS, I would all the time hear that there's no more deals. How are you guys getting any deals or what, what are you guys doing for it? I just go into, and I try to teach the act, my acquisitions guys, this too, is like, just go into every conversation or every offer you make optimistically. I'd wake up that day, 
whether it's realistic or not, be like, I'm getting a deal today. I can feel it. I can feel it. So the conversation I have is a little bit different than me being like, well, they're asking 300, they want 300. It's not, you know, it's only worth 330. It's like, no, that, that's not how it works. Like just stay on it, follow up with people, get your pipeline so full. And those, those, you know, long nights of offers that you're writing every single night or sellers that you're calling every single day and building relationships with that slowly builds up, you know, and then that person that that offer that I wrote, you know, four months ago, the house didn't sell for this or that, or or even three weeks ago, they they got an offer that was a little bit higher than mine, and it fell off, and here they are back on your plate. Like, you just gotta put out that effort constantly. And if you think you need it, if you think you're gonna get one in five, you know, offers that you write, first off, you probably won't. But if you think you're you're gonna get one out of five, then write fifty. Like, just multiply it every time. Just do way, take way more effort and action than you need to fill that pipeline and it'll eventually just start paying you. You just got to put in the work, whether you think it's going to work or not, and then be optimistic. I love that, man. And, and speaking of Vegas, it's interesting because I wasn't, Vegas was one of the first markets I started investing in at like the absolute wrong time when I first got into it. But it was one of those markets where you could still go in, get money back at closing, get in with like a liar's loan, turn around, like sell it. Like yep. there was a lot of stuff there, but I watched Vegas go very high, then crash very hard and then come back screaming. And, and I've always said Vegas is one of those good litmus tests because it's one of the few markets that no matter what's going on in your life, people go to Vegas. You're having something you want to celebrate. You're going to Vegas to party. You're having the worst month of your life. You're going to Vegas to drown your sorrows. So it yep. always like is one of those ones that's going to have that boomerang effect. But what are you doing to track where Vegas is as far as like what's happening in the market? Is it going up? Is it going down? And what's your plan to adjust if and when it does? Well, one thing I'll say is that I think I've got a, a outside of wholesalers um, or just people that are great at mining data. Um, the I've got a finger on the pulse because I know when I list a good house that that just finished, I know I got nine offers or I know that I got 10 showings or three showings and I did or didn't get an offer. So I have a finger on the pulse with all the inventory that we have listed selling and whatnot. So I kind of feel it that way. But the main thing I'm always looking at is how many single families are on the market and how many are selling each month. I look at that ratio when I see it go super low, I'm, I'm on top of it. And along with a, you know, a seasonal cyclical market, it's like, you know, December is right around October. Things are going to go slow down December ish, December, January is when I start to try to acquire heavy because I know I'm going to be coming on the market in, in March. I know when I can be aggressive. I know when I, I can't be aggressive. I know every area in town, but I have seen that too, where, I mean, Vegas is Vegas. It's like uh, Phoenix, you know, everybody, it's like a hot market. Everybody always wants to talk about markets like that, like top 10 metro. I don't know if it's top 10 metros as far as population and whatnot, just, but as far as what's recognized. So everyone's like Vegas, 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 great price point. And then they come and they fail because they just don't understand. And a lot of people will come from, you know, East coast or Midwest markets where there are a lot of older homes and those, those sellers understand the homes are older. They understand the amount of work that it takes to, to, to put into them, to resell them. And they're also maybe in a market where the average price points, you know, 200, whereas in Vegas it's 380. So everybody operates on a percent margin. So the, the same thing applies for how you're purchasing at discounts. So now you have to get a 300 in Vegas, you have to get a $350,000 house for, you know, 210 or 250. So you're asking the seller to take a, a larger, like just dollar amount discount versus getting a $140,000 house for 90 is a lot easier task. So people will come to the market and then call me and be like, dude, I don't know it's in the water out there, but these sellers aren't budging on anything. It's like, cause everybody knows Vegas is hot. So 
You just have to be super dialed in with your numbers. You can't be sloppy. You have to understand construction. You need to know which pockets are what. You need to know like what hedge funds are buying, who you can sell to if you are going to wholesale. Like you just got to know all of that, all of those things in Vegas. I feel like it's even more important because the number, it'll come down to a different, I mean, sure. On occasion, you know, we do get those deals where they were offered higher and they love Ryan. So they take our lower offer, but you know, 99 or 99 times out of a hundred, that person is going to be like, well, this person offered me three grand more. So you have to have your numbers dialed in, you know, especially for competing against everybody, which you are. So it, you, uh, you just have to have a really good sales process, I guess, um, extreme follow-up, and then just know the market really well. Just like you're, I, I was always against going to other markets, not against it. I just, I, I, I would watch people be like, I'm going to be in eight markets by the end of this. I'm like, well, you're only doing four deals in your market and there's 700 deals being like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's plenty more juice to squeeze in your market that you know that market. So I always was like, well, I can, you know, squeeze a little more. And I, I'm sure I still could in my market. Um, if we're doing, you know, 12 to 15, I mean, some deals, you some months you have 10, some months you have 25 deals. That's just kind of how it goes. But um, in, in Vegas, then I added Oklahoma because I think it's, it is important where your secondary market is, especially if it's whatever your end goal is. If you're, if you're buying and hold for rentals, or if you're going to go out there and wholesale or flip, you need to understand like how quickly is this market moving? Of course, right now, everywhere in the nation, things are moving pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and I personally, I'm feeling things slowing down a little bit because I've watched um, the inventory climbing up here in Vegas. So, but it depends what you're doing in that market and it's, and it matters where, but it's more important who is in that market with you. So I did not want to have to drop into another market, go get, you know, all new sales reps, even if they were virtual or what, go get on, hire a new sales team, understand, that market, how it comps, what the, what construction's like, what's the labor force like, because um, that's going to dictate, you know, what you need to acquire for, um, have to go get, if I was going to flip or, or renovate all these properties, have to go get um, contractors lined up and understand that every, every state's different with their, how title transfers, Oklahoma's way slower than, than Vegas. Vegas, I can have the title report back in, you know, 24 hours, you know, and then in Oklahoma it could take two, three weeks because the older the home, the way they track their records, it's just like, they got to mail this in and wait three weeks for this to get back and this and that. And it just takes time versus Vegas. It's like, I would see also in other markets, a lot of cancellations due to title issues. I'm like, I did We can't, well, our cancellation rate was like 3% where I watch other people are like 15%. Like just because I think the newer homes, less title transfers, less history is just easier to process. So just understanding that kind of stuff. And, um, but yeah, like I said, more importantly, who, so the guys I've partnered with out there already had all those relationships built. They're the GC, they're the property manager. We're flipping a few out there. I didn't really want to flip out there, which I guess I'm really not because they're, they're handling all the construction and that stuff. And, but, um, they're A to Z from acquisitions to dis to sell or, or lease and property management and everything. So, I partnered with them and then they, they just had too many, they, they already had a good portfolio, almost 200 homes. And they're like, I'm ready. I, I have really good cash flow. I want to start stockpiling some cash. Um, so they just start been wholesaling all the deals that they've been getting. And they're just, the coverage on them is the, the, the cash flow on them is really, really good. So, and it's hard to get stuff to cash flow in Vegas. So um, I'm buying, a, I probably bought like uh, 10 or so in Vegas this year, but then another 60, rentals in, in Oklahoma and then 10 flips that I'm doing with them because they want to learn the flipping game too because they had flipped like 
four houses and lost money on three versus I've done, I don't know, 500 deals out in Vegas and I've lost money on like two or three deals in all that time because we just know we, we're, I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to, uh, I know what my holding expenses are. I know what the construction is going to be. I'm not going to undershoot it. I'm not going to under renovate it and sit on it for six months and end up losing money because of that. So I just, all those factors come into play. That's great stuff, man. And right now, what's your, uh, what are your more lead generation? Uh, what, what are your lead generation methods right now? So uh, just a little bit of everything. So I never did direct mail until now. I'm doing it now because um, I, my main 35% uh, of my deals have, for the last um, few years have came from SMS, text message marketing, which the restrictions are getting tighter. And I've used a lot of platforms. Um, I've gone through a lot of the ones that everybody knows like Batch and um, Sherpa or Roar. And like, I've used all those and I've seen all the data come back. I've internalized it on my end and then, um, I just came to the realization as I saw like declining performance that I had to just develop my own platform. So I developed my own SMS platform. And so that's what I run all my stuff through now. Um, so SMS is, is always like one of our, is about 30, 35% of our revenue. Um, and it's by far the most profitable. Like if I do PPC, like, so pay-per-click through Google, uh, my ROI will be like, I don't know, five, six X. Um, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, whatever it settles around four to five X, whereas SM, so like four to 500% SMS is like 4, 4,000%, you know, so I've, I'll do SMS and, and focus on that. Um, the only problem is those types of leads are a lot lower quality. So you're going to have the number of um, gross leads to interested leads is going to be, you know, way off compared to PPC, you'll convert one in 10 or SEO, which is like your website showing up organically on Google. Those leads are the best for me. Those convert one in four, PPC one in 10, one in 12. Then you get like telemarketing leads. You have cold callers call, they, you know, send a lead in, then your in-house acquisitions guys kind of take over. Those will be like one in 30, one in 40. And then you got um, Bing also is okay. You just can't really do volume with it. Um, for Facebook and Instagram, which we do a lot of retargeting because people are going to your website and then you got a pixel or a, a cookie on them or whatever, and it trip follows them around just like how Amazon follows you around. If you look for a backpack, it's on every website you've seen. <laughs> so the, we, we do retargeting and stuff through Facebook and Instagram. It's been okay for us. Um, not, not, I mean, it's a, it, you just can't spend a lot of money on it. You, it doesn't bring in a lot of deals, but it works. Um, and then we do ringless voicemail and voice broadcast those are good too the problem is with those those three lead channels which have been like they're the most profitable because they're the cheapest and everybody does them but the issue is they're not um they're they, they beat up your acquisitions people because they're going to have one in for an sms they're going to have one in 90 leads convert let's just say so they're they this takes a lot more labor so it's like you, it's a trade-off obviously the roi is still better but it's like all right if the lead the lead cost per interested lead is is higher that lead is going to be the, the ones that kind of keep your guys fueled and motivated because they get that one call, easy close, you know, or whatever. I, that's rare, but they, they get those very motivated leads calling you like, with those um, inbound type leads and your outbound type marketing kind of burns them out. So I'm, I'm shifting to doing a little bit more PPC, um, uh, Facebook, Instagram, that kind of digital type inbound marketing. And I also added direct mail to it as well. Um, I'm just trying to really hone down my list that I'm sending and figure it out because I just want... When you start doing those higher cost marketing channels, your business becomes more consistent and stable. Um, so, and your guys are less burnt out. It's a lot more predictable. So I'm doing, I'm just uh, adding direct mail to it too. 
Um, yeah, so those are most of the, the lead channels that we do. And then I also still um, keep my, my uh, business super healthy and profitable. I think normal wholesale fix and flip guys, whatever, if you're direct doing direct to homeowner marketing, I mean, they're anywhere from, I mean, if you have a huge company, let's say 10 to 20%, if you have a smaller company, maybe 20 to 50% margin, some guys start to get into the 60 range. And I think last year we were at like 70%. This year has been unrealistic because you have those deals that you're going to, you know, you think you're going to make 30 grand on and you end up making 80 or hundred. It's <laughs> insane and not realistic. I'm not, our margins are better this year, but not because we've been better, but because the market has. <laughs> so yes. I think we're in the eighties, this 80% this year, somewhere around there. Um, I don't expect that moving forward. And so I'm adding these marketing channels. Maybe it'll bring me back down in the 50s, 60 range, but I don't, it'll, it'll just create a more consistent business, you know, where I don't have to constantly keep the guys motivated or sifting through hundreds and hundreds of leads and labor intensive marketing channels. It's like you put your credit card in and it bumps out something consistent for you. Ever wanted to play the drums or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. That's awesome, man. This has been great. I really appreciate all the information you're giving and uh, how... How generous you've been with your time. This is kind of what I like to call the victory lap at the end, where we kind of wrap things up with a nice bow. Um, I do want to say, man, I didn't realize you were part of Collective Genius. The, the more I have guys on that I'm just blown away with, they always at some point are like, oh, I'm part of Collective Genius, or I was part of Collective Genius. So, yep. I mean, that seems to just be pumping out rock stars, man. I got to look into that for my next mastermind. It is, yeah. And the, the cool thing is they limit it per market, so you're not sharing your deepest, darkest tactics with your direct competitor, which, <laughs> I mean, ultimately you kind of are, because they'll maybe let two guys in the market, but... I've always been a collaborative type person. So even my direct competitors, I'll jump on a call. We'll share numbers. We'll talk about it. And then at the end of the day too, if they get a deal in my marketplace over me, I'm like, whatever. At least my boy got it. You know, it's all nice. good. But yeah, Collective Genius vets people super hard and they only let the elite in. So it's it's been really, I, I'm, I've been blessed to be around that group for sure. That's awesome, man. Hey, do you have a favorite quote? I mean, one, one, one that I really do like is, I mean, it's not very, I guess, a motivational quote, but it, when, when you're in the grind every day, um, you know, you, it, you take your business so seriously that you begin to let um, like little issues stress you out. Like I would get stressed out a lot by if we're going to have cancellations or like if this issue came over that. And I just started to try to shift my mind so I didn't have as much stress in my life. And I read a book called Who Not How. Um, and it, that really helped me transition. And there's one quote in there. He said, uh, if you got enough money to solve a problem, you don't, you don't have a problem. Like it just puts a perspective on the things in life that really matter. And it just like, like if, if, if you have a problem in business that can be fixed with money, it's not a real problem. Just, just 
pony up, pay it and move on. Versus if you have, you know, your health, your family's all healthy. Like if something happens there, like money can't always just fix that, those things. So if it, it just to separate in life, what's, what's important and what's not. Um, and, and just like we were talking about in the beginning is money motivating you. I mean, obviously money, you should be motivated by money in some sense, but that's not what's important in life. And that's not where you're going to find your significance. So just shift, like separating the two things in life of what's important and what's not is if you have enough money to fix a problem, it's not a real problem. So just handle those, tackle those issues, and then just be grateful for all the things in your life that are going perfect and everybody's healthy and around you. And, you know, what is one of your favorite books? I read a, a good book called, uh, what's it called? Top grading. And that's, and, and that was a pretty good book for just learning a simple hiring process. And uh, since I've implemented that, I've actually brought on two people that have been rock stars and it's been due to that and learning different personality tests. So you can get, you know, a snapshot of somebody, not just how they show up in an interview in that moment, understanding what drives them and, and what their work history has been like is super important. That's great. I would have checked that book out. I never heard of that. Thanks for that. Yes. Knowing what you know now in life and business, what would you tell a younger Casey Ryan? Oof. Um, I would tell a younger Casey Ryan. Uh, man, I think I would just probably tell myself to hire sooner um, and master uh, the hiring process sooner because that you're, you know, you're, you're one great hire away from changing your entire life and business. Like one good person. Like if I didn't have my, uh, my, my right-hand guy, Ryan, in my business, it wouldn't be the same. And, and just bringing people on and bringing them together and compensating them well, overpay these people. They should make, they, they should, they're, they're part of your business too. So they, they, they should be partaking in that upside too. So overpaying people and just, just learn to, cause I was so cheap in the beginning cause I was <laughs> saving every dollar I could get. And I was doing that with people too good people they're worth the money overpay them and just learn how to hire quickly which um i've i've been trying to learn that in, in the meantime last question so many people i talk to that have a different experience than you had that they're looking to go follow their dreams they're looking to go get into real estate they're turning down the thing that they just finished college for and they do not have supportive family spouses friends and family for somebody who does not have that what advice would you give to them Man, I always, um, I mean, I've been blessed to have that, that support system as well, but um, I can tell you there's been a lot of times where um, my, my parents have always, you know, pretty much backed a lot of what I'm doing, but I can tell you they were pretty disappointed when I went to school for five years to just jump ship and abandon it and go into something else. Now, in retrospect, that they're, they're very <laughs> proud, but um, I'll, I'll say that at the end of the day, you just kind of got to rely on yourself. You can't be looking out to others for the support that you need you've got to be like your own rock because if you're looking to for others to others for your your happiness your confirmation support you're never going to find what you're looking for you've got to find it in yourself man that's such great advice this has been awesome man again i i've, I've wanted to get you on for a long time i really appreciate that you were so nice to come on and share all the experiences i could talk to you forever man but i don't want to take up your whole day um how do people find you how do people work with you how can we help you yeah, so um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm KCP.Ryan. Um, I'm on Facebook. I don't know what the, my tag is on there, but just search Casey Ryan. Or I'm really uh, people text me all the time. Uh, my number is 702-824-7270. You can text me if you got a deal or a question or something. I I usually try to get back to people as quickly as I can, and then I feel like if I put that out in the universe, good things happen to good people. So I just try to get back where I can.
That's awesome, man. And obviously, anybody listening to this, if you look at the show notes for the episode, all the contacts and links and stuff will be on there. And your company, um, it's got its own Facebook page as well, right? Yes, We Buy Any Vegas House. I have an Instagram and a Facebook as well, but a lot of the content I'll end up just posting through my personal name. My cool, personal man. Account. Well, again, I'm, I'm very impressed with you, man. I really appreciate uh, you you doing this. Any final thoughts before we let you go? No, man. Nothing. Nothing else. Awesome. Well, enjoy Vegas, man. Enjoy the nice weather. Don't work Thanks. too hard. And thank you very much, man. I appreciate this very much. Have a great day. Casey Riley.